Hello, and welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show, a podcast to help you unlock tremendous growth for your app. My name is Shamant Rao. I'm the CEO of the boutique growth marketing firm, Rocketship HQ, and host of the podcast, Mobile User Acquisition Show. In each episode, we feature experts in the field of mobile growth and discuss strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile growth marketing. By the end of each episode, you will have gained actionable and tactical insights that will help you make more informed decisions in your own work around growth. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is produced by Meryl Vincent, Content Marketing Manager at Rocketship HQ. Our guest today is Lucia Aguilar. Lucia is the founder of the influencer marketing agency Tatam Digital. In today's episode, we talk about her approach to influencer marketing, how influencers and audiences might not be who you expect them to be, the challenges of measuring influencer campaigns, and much, much more. I'm excited to welcome Lucia Aguilar to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Lucia, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you, partly because you came very highly recommended, but also because you've done some very interesting work around influencers for performance, and which is something I'm excited to dive into today. Sure. Yeah, to, to kick things off, the last time we spoke, you shared how the choice of influencers is not always expected or intuitive. Can you walk through the process you use to pick the right influencers for a brand? Yes, sure. So sometimes the people that work in marketing for a long time, and I include myself because before doing this, I worked many, many years for a fast-moving consumer good company, and a multinational. And every time we thought about influencers, we thought of them as the brand face, as an ambassador of our brand. So it has to be perfect. It has to be in line of our brand guidance. It has to be representative of the brand. And what we're forgetting is that when we use influencers to promote our services, we're actually buying their audience and not necessarily their face. So the first thing that we need to understand when we try to work with influencers is understand our target audience. And once we understand our target audience, we can guess at first who is our target audience watching on YouTube. Not necessarily you're going to have like your perfect influencer to be the best case for your brand because they're not your brand face. They're actually talking to an audience. Let me give you an example. We work with an app that is for couples, right? Once you are already in a relationship, you need some sort of help or guidance to have interesting conversations or to discuss new things on the table or to just have fun. And this client at the beginning, the first time we ran a campaign, they wanted only influencer couples talking on YouTube. And it was not great because when you think the other way around, who is watching this like perfect couple blonde on YouTube? Are people like you and me that have been, I don't know, I have been married for the last 15 years. I don't watch that on YouTube. I truly don't. And the audience of these YouTube channels are probably 18-year-olds like dreaming of that future 
couple that they're going to have. So <clears throat> you have to really understand what is the audience and separate that from the YouTuber or the influencer itself. Yeah, and I think that's an easy pitfall to get into, right? Because I've certainly seen a lot of brands and products which are like, oh, we want, this is a face of our product, not exactly the way to look at it. Is there an example that you can think of? Uh, obviously, you shared the couple's product example. Is there another example that comes to mind where the audience was totally not what was anticipated and what was the audience instead? Yeah, sure. This happens almost every time that we start working with a client. They always have a fixed idea of what should work in their channels. For example, we work also with a language learning app. And when we started, they wanted to have travelers and polyglot families. And travelers was not that their audience is not great, but it's that it's not very cost effective to have travelers sponsoring your content because you have to wait for the traveler to travel to the destination to use the right. language that you learn on the app. So it took forever. And once you want to scale up an influencer marketing program as user acquisition channel, you need to be able to scale it up. So we tested all these travel influencers. We use a huge amount of influencers in very different verticals, but there are other verticals that perform way better than these travel influencers that we were so keen on securing yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, and I think that you can certainly find very surprising categories that do resonate, right? And can you share how you think about defining the different categories or verticals of influencers to target for a product if you're working yes, on a campaign? Sure. So yeah. we have more than 500 categories done. So we have categories and subcategories of almost every category. And there is always a category for that. Like, for example, we are working now with the horses category, the people that takes care of horses and breeds horses and train horses. And this category is working extremely well for some very premium high-end products. So yeah, of course you can think that premium products will sell well within the horsing community. Uh, but uh, yes, we have 500 categories and we are always discovering new categories <coughs> that we don't know. And this is internal from Tatam. It's not that it exists or that the influencer clearly states on their YouTube channel or Instagram channel or TikTok channel what their category. Some yes, some are very straightforward of what they say, but some of them are more like lifestyle and blogs. And within lifestyle, we have I don't know, over a hundred categories because it's not the same if you are lifestyle, but you have an interesting or like something important that you are doing and you are like blogging on that. Or if you have nothing to do and you're just like, what did I did today? And I went to the supermarket and I cooked dinner for my kids and that's it. So yeah, it, so, it, it's very tricky. And it also it's yeah. tricky when we have to analyze performance because yeah. What we do at Tatam is we are very focused on how the different verticals and the different collaborations work. So once we understand one category that works, we want to double down there and invest a lot more. For example, ASMR is a category that works wonderfully within many of our clients. But it's not the same. It's not all ASMR the same. We have... Sure subcategories within the ASM, ASMR category. So you have one that are relaxing sounds, 
other focus sounds, other more sexual sounds, other more like fun sounds. So we have to understand where the performance is coming from and if there is a category that it's always driving good performance and steady performance. Sure, certainly. Right. And, you know, when it comes to the influencer themselves and the footage they're producing, what does the process look like of directing the influencer? What kind of guidance do they get? How much control do you exert? Do you let them do what they want? Can you talk us through what the direction process looks like? Yes. Well, that's a super interesting question because for many, many years, I've been promoting that we let the influencers create themselves because they are super creative people and that's how they became influencers in the first place because they are very good in the creativity process and creating content and that's how they became these moguls of social media what's happening in the last few months or year i would say is that the ads on every single platform are being standardized and they are receiving like very fixed briefs so the creativity is a little bit out of the question and they are not channeling their creativity to the ads they are just doing something very plain and very i would say boring so we have to work now that after four years or more of insisting of letting the influencers create themselves whatever they wanted i'm now doing the opposite route and trying to guide them into channeling their creativity within the ad. You know, right. we're working with creative people to create better briefs in order for us to have better ads and more organic and more fun to watch and not like, oh, this video has been sponsored for, you know, like yeah. that's not fun to watch. Yeah, that's a good point, right? In fact, my team, we make, UGCs with actors, not so much influencers, but we see the same thing to be true because if we don't give any guidelines, they don't know what success looks like. They don't know what to make. They will make a fun ad, which may not actually be the kind of fun you're looking for. All right. It may not actually lead to conversions and performance. So we've certainly seen and learned this something very similar in our work with actors. So it's interesting that you mentioned that and certainly it makes a lot of sense. But, you know, take me through the process of working with an influencer. Let's just say there's a brand or a product that wants to use influencers for the first time. What does the testing process look like? And how did the process change, you know, once, let's just say, you see, oh, this category is working really well. Let's keep going down this path. Or it's not working so well. Or maybe the influencer is working well, the category is not working out well. So take me through the process of starting to test a product to growing the product's performance. Yes, sure. So to start with influencers, you have to know that out of 20 collaborations, five are going to be a total club. That's for sure. You will have five that are not performing nothing. It's like throwing money outside the window. Then you will have 10 that will work more or less of what you expected. And then you will have five that will be outstanding and they will really drive everything in your mix of media. So sometimes you need some tweaking and expertise in order to get those five outstanding ones. 
sometimes you get lucky and the first five are amazing and then you want to scale that up and you don't get that much yeah. success. Just know that it takes time and it takes patience to build an acquisition channel that works. And sometimes you get the five words at the beginning. So also have the patience to go through it, even if the first five are a total flop. So I would say at the beginning, nobody needs an agency to start, to see, to test. Brands can do it and people can do it directly with their own products. They can reach out to influencers and try to do it. It's a very, very labor intensive work because you have to reach out to influencers. You have to convince them. You have to negotiate with them, brief them, approve their content and pay them. So it's a lot of work. And that's when you need an agency. Once you prove that this channel works for you and you want to scale it up. So that's when you come to Tatam. But before that, you can do it by yourself. I would say, reach out to the influencers that you like if you are a consumer of your own product. Reach out to influencers that have interesting stories to share. Somebody that is within the niche of the product that you are selling that probably if you are working in a company and you like the product that you are working on, you're most probably already follow some of those influencers because it's something that is interesting to you. So I would reach out to the influencers directly and try to establish a good relationship with them, try to explain to them the product. It's important for you to explain the product well. The influencer has to test it, has to try it, has to use it, has to like it. Otherwise, the ad will look very fake and not great. Yeah, certainly, right? And what you're suggesting is really use a DIY approach in the beginning till you understand what's working. And only afterwards, you really double down on having a more organized effort, perhaps working with a partner like you guys, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of campaigns you guys work with are performance-based, right? So, yes. and obviously there are challenges with measuring performance. I think one of the challenges is not everybody clicks on the link. The other is, you know, there are iOS tracking issues, iOS tracking policy changes. So talk me through how you recommend measuring influencer performance in the presence of these challenges. Yes, sure. So we have to also start from the basis that we Mm -hmm. won't be able to track 100%. This is a fact. And we don't have any technology as of now to be able to track 100% of the impact of the influencer campaign. What we can do is use the the tools that there are available on the market, like, can I say names? Yeah, please. Apps Flyer, Adjust, Brunch, in order to track the installs, conversions of my app. And we have done as a company and we published those papers. You can find it in tatam.digital slash papers. We have an organic uplift paper where we explain, we did this test, for example, in markets where our clients weren't doing anything. So we were able to just do influencer marketing there and see how many clicks or how many downloads were tracked and how many others were organic but they were actually non-track performance of the influencer marketing campaign. And we can measure an impact of three to 10 times more of the actual installs that we see on the tools. So we can estimate, and that's something that you have the confidence to show to the C-level or CEOs of the company that this 
user acquisition channel, it's working and it's under tracked. So we can estimate from three to 10, whatever if you feel like it's a good number. If there are two assets, maybe you can see, okay, with certainty, I can say three times more is what I'm getting. If they are more relaxed and they trust the impact of the influencers, you can say more of a seven or an eight times more. Yeah. And we also have to think that everything that we do online is just the, the tip of the iceberg of what branding stands for, right? We have brand recognition, we have brand love, we have a lot of attributes on the brand and we are just tracking on conversion, like installs, which is the tip. But we have to know that all the work that we do with influencers and all the work that we do with this acquisition channel will impact on building bigger iceberg and having our brand out there and having our brand recognized by a lot of people, knowing that our brand will be more permeable to people once they see another Definitely. type of ad, another performance channel, TV, radio, whatever you're investing on. Yeah, and there's also the downstream impact, right? Because I ran influencers when I was in-house in a company and we saw with YouTube, like one month, three months, six months after the video was live, the views were going on, going up, right? And there's certainly that impact. So for that, we call that the long tail effect. And we yeah. have another paper on our website that you can read it. And we talk about that. And that has been proved already with all of our clients that 50% of the revenue comes in month one. And you can expect sure. the same amount of that you had in month one in the following nine months to come. That will slowly but certainly bring back the revenue again. So you can yeah. Yeah, double the revenue from month one with certainty and that you would see for sure. That's struck Certainly. performance. Yeah, and which is why I think looking at a seven-day attribution window, that's just not meaningful. If you say seven days attribution window from the day it clicked on the link, then yes. Sure. But oh, yeah. the thing is, on YouTube, yeah. people are still watching content that was published two years ago, three years ago. Yeah. So that's how we get those sales. And those are the evergreen content that we'd like to promote. Sure. Yeah, so from what you're saying, really, the key is to understand what are the unattributed organics, maybe get a multiplier, get a model in place so that you can truly understand what the unattributed organics are. Yes. Right? Yeah. And the interesting thing is after the iOS changes, a lot of channels are in that same position now, not just influences. Anyway. Lucia, I know we've covered a lot of ground today, and this has been very fascinating to me. Uh, this is perhaps a good place for us to start to wrap. But before we do that, can you tell folks how they can find out more about you and everything you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm Lucia Aguilar. I'm the CEO and founder of Tatam Digital. You can find us in tatam.digital online, or you can write me at lucia at tatam.digital. And I would be happy to chat with you. Excellent. We will link to all of that in the show notes. And uh, yeah, and I'm sure people will want to check out the papers that you reference, the white papers that you reference as well. So hopefully people can check that out as well. But for now, this is perhaps a good place for us to wrap. Thank you for being sure. a guest on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time 
effort and love to produce. And I deeply value every review, and every piece of feedback that you share.